and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's a Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Olivia Scully, who is doing an MA in Social Cultural Aspects of Sport and the Body in the School of Kinesiology and Health Studies under the supervision of Dr. Courtney Sito. Welcome to Grad Chat, Olivia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love it. I've got a few more students lined up, which is great to come on for the next few weeks. So we're very, very happy with that. And it's, it's always quite interesting because Olivia was very apologetic. She says, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get back to you. But it's okay, Olivia, isn't it? And at the end of the day, this is what fits for you. So why, why did you feel now is the time to have a go on Grad Chat or c- come and be interviewed about your work? Yeah, I've seen it since since I started at Queen's. I've always seen it in, in those um, monthly newsletters we get. And I've always thought it was very cool, but I didn't really have much research to talk about until now. I'm in my nearing the end of my second year. And so my research is in, I'm in the data collection phase, I should say. Right. So just getting started, but I, yeah, prior to now, I just didn't have very much to talk about, I suppose. <laughs> but you know, I can always pull out information from our students. <laughs> so oh yes, I'm, I can talk about other things yeah, for sure. Absolutely, but <laughs> absolutely. Remember, we've got 29 minutes. Yeah. So we can do all sorts of things. So before we actually do get onto your research, and you know, you're in a good place right now to talk about that a bit later. Tell us a bit about yourself. For instance, you know, where did you do your undergrad? What made you want to continue and do a master's degree? Yeah, so I'm from Calgary, from Calgary, Alberta, and I did my, I was born and raised there. I did my undergrad at the University of Calgary, um, and I got a bachelor's of kinesiology. Um, I went into, I mean, I always say this to undergrad students, your trajectories will always change. Yes. <laughs> I went into undergrad thinking I wanted to go into medical school. Um, I was always very on the path of sciences. I loved biology, chemistry, and those sorts of things. And social studies was actually always my worst my least favorite topic subject. <laughs> so it's funny that I'm now doing doing a master's degree in basically social studies. Yeah, so I did that. I took my first few years in my undergrad doing all the science courses. Mm-hmm. So and like um, exercise physiology, and biomechanics. and Yep, yep, bio- biology and chemistry. I was trying to get all those prerequisites for medical school. And right. um, I enjoyed it, but I had the sense that other people around me wanted it a lot more than I did, um, which was an interesting thing to experience. Um, But then I took an intro to sociocultural aspects of sport in my second year um, with Dr. William Bridal over at the University of Calgary. And it was like my whole world opened up. Like I felt just overwhelmed with like, oh, this is the way that I think. And this is the way I've always thought. And I always thought that those parts were kind of missing from the sciencey stuff. So it was very cool. I took his course and then I took the rest of his courses that he offered. And then from there, I actually switched out of the science stream into a minor in sociology. Right. So I took about 12 sociology courses. And yeah, so from there, I took a few years off after my undergrad, which I recommend 
um, it really gave me a chance to kind of grow as a human. Yeah, and is this what you really wanted to do? Yeah, um, yeah, and just not be a student. And not a lot of people, I think, take time off from high school to undergrad. So just to not be a student and not have those responsibilities and kind of figured out who you were outside of that yes. was important for me. And then, yeah, so I actually went traveling in Asia in my second year off, and then COVID happened. So oh. I was <laughs> brought back to Canada um, in March of 2020. And then I just thought, I'd always thought that I would like to do a master's. I did a research project in my undergrad in a similar area. And I thought, well, now's the time I'm back and I might as well just go back to school. It was kind of what everyone was doing at the time anyways. So yeah, then I applied and you, got, and you got in. And I got in. I think it's interesting too, because a lot of people think when you do say, for instance, kinesiology in undergrad, that it's always about sports and and athletes and things like that but there is the other side of it and I think that's the nice thing about the route that you're taking you still have that connection to sport but in a different way mm-hmm. um, and different to what most people might think from so I guess you were a key were you an avid sports person I was a dancer growing up oh fantastic so an Irish dancer actually right. so I was highly competitive in that um, and I spent a lot of time in physio mm-hmm. just in and out week by week my physiotherapist was also one of my dance teachers so she was really great at knowing what to do but that's kind of where I I felt the interest of going into kinesiology and I've always liked like biology and and chemistry and the human physiology stuff so that's why I went into it but sports it's funny sports no I I am not a big sports fan I like individual sports Uh, but dancing's still a sport dancing is a a lot of physical activity that goes on there and there's a lot of training yes people don't see the arts or the performing arts as sport in the same way as on a field with a hockey stick or a football or right yeah like that yeah which is I'm glad you said that because that is something I have fought my whole life (laughs) (laughs) to get people to understand but yeah yeah dancing is definitely a sport but um, yeah, I'm definitely more interested in like the body side. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that also because in almost every kinesiology faculty across the country, there is at least one sociocultural professor. And which it is, is it is, is a great. part of the field, but it gets forgotten. It does get forgotten, but it shouldn't be forgotten. So, no. you know what? Great segue into your research then. And your research topic is exploring the effects of the body acceptance movement for women and gender diverse people. Now, when I read your research topic, I immediately thought that, apart from the fact it's a fantastic topic, (laughs) finally people are starting to talk about this subject seriously, in that people are wanting to know a little bit more and are not afraid to talk about it as they once were. So what made you choose this topic? It's a big one. It's a big one. This is a very personal, my research is very personal and um, close to my heart, which I think makes it better yes. because... Um, and you've got the passion behind it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, in my undergrad, I, I, well, I actually, if we go back even further, I had an eating disorder when I was in my early teens, when I was right. about 13 to 15. And that was a huge part of my life at the time. Um, it coincided with dance a lot because I wasn't able to dance if I wasn't healthy. And right. so the doctors had a big thing about I couldn't dance if I wasn't eating properly, which is, I'm very grateful for um, the way that I was treated well, that luckily way. there was that sort of dance that they allowed that because there was other forms of dance where you're eating too much. Exactly, yeah. So I was I was very lucky to have supportive, supportive people around me, especially my dance teachers and, and my family, of course. And... Yeah, so I did that. I recovered as much as you can recover 
I within the society. I think that we all kind of have a we live in a place where food is controversial, I would say, maybe can be. Yes. So um, I went in, again, I went into my undergrad and was taking these kinesiology courses, very scientific based um, nutrition courses and exercise physiology. And they all just made me be able to shift my kind of problems that I had with food and, re- and exercise right. to kind of this like health and wellness side. And so I thought that I was being healthy, even though I was definitely still restricting. Mm-hmm. I was definitely still exercising to look a certain way. I thought that I had to look a certain way to be a kinesiology student right? and just to spend time in the gym. Um, it was something that was very prominent in, in that department and definitely just my eating disorder just shifted to kind of a different form, a more acceptable form. Right. In um, a more healthier form. No, no. I would okay. not say it was healthy. Okay. I mean, I wasn't in the hospital and I wasn't right. ill, but I still had definitely fears around eating certain foods. And right. yeah, just not a balanced way of thinking about it. It was kind of my whole life. And so when I started taking those sociocultural courses, I that's where I kind of learned the roots of diet culture and the roots of like kinesiology faculties are rooted in like, yeah, just really. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all about image. Yes, yeah. So, and I, I'm, I'm going to let you in. I did kinesiology, well, it wasn't called kinesiology when I was back at school, but it's the same thing, exercise yep. fairs and things. And even in all the act programming we did, when we're doing learning how to do dance and different sports, I was one, the one in the big baggy shorts and the big T-shirts and everyone else was in leotards and mm-hmm. to show off their figures and everything. And there was nothing wrong with it. They all had great figures. But there was a... A thing of this is what the athlete should look like. Yes, and I didn't actually fit that picture at the time, so I, right. I totally get. Not that it bothered me one little bit, which is a little bit different. Which to, is great, to yours, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's definitely in there. Yes, yeah, and especially in in the athletic realm. I actually that's what my did my undergrad project in was asking um, varsity women athletes about that and kind of those pressures that they had, but. Yeah, so I, I kind of came to this research because I came away from uh, my undergrad and started finding these, these well, it's a term called body positivity, but we've kind of mm-hmm. moved away from using that term because for so many reasons it's been uh, kind of appropriated in a lot of harmful ways right. towards the people that first started the body positivity community. But we moved towards kind of using this term of body acceptance or some people use the term body neutrality, which is pretty cool which I can talk about a little bit more later. But I found these spaces, especially on Instagram for me specifically, was the space that I found them. Right now, I know that it's trending to be more towards TikTok. Um, That's kind of the biggest social media right now, which I don't personally use, but I have found in my recruitment that everyone is like, I don't follow people on Instagram, but I do on TikTok. So that has been a learning curve for me. I feel a little bit old sometimes. <laughs> then I'm so, to- so old, I don't do either. <laughs> well, I mean, that might be for the best. Um, but yeah, and, and it was just a cool space for me. And I, I always, I'm a very theoretical person. So I was always theorizing these things. And that's how I came to come up with it for a topic for my master's. But you're doing it in general, not necessarily through the sporting lens. You're doing it in general. Yes, just in general. Okay. Yeah. All right then. So give us a bit of a background on how you're trying to do this because I know, well, well, maybe I'll just go straight into it. Mm-hmm. What is the body acceptance movement mm-hmm. and why did you choose to study it? I mean, you've given some of that, but what is this body acceptance movement? Because we can all conjure up different definitions of what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think what's really important 
to emphasize is history and this obviously didn't pop out of nowhere so um, I've done a lot of work in looking at the history of what we can call the fat acceptance movement and that's kind of where it has gone now towards body acceptance but the fat acceptance movement in the 1960s actually started with a couple of founding groups there was the association for fat americans and then there was an association there's a group out west as well i hate to say this but the names are not very attractive (laughs) of these movements yeah so that's that's a funny thing i think because i'm so used to saying the word fat not it just in a very neutral descriptive term doesn't seem to be a pc word that we should be even though that was back in the 60s and things were a little bit different back then yeah no fat is a word that in fat studies there's a discipline called fat studies and there are people who say especially straight-sized people who say look I don't feel comfortable using that word mm-hmm. there's people who are fat activists or in fat studies say no it's a descriptor just like blonde just like blue-eyed just like white or black like they're just right. descriptors for our bodies that makes sense and it's kind of the taking back of those words that have been used negatively I think that's the important word yes. they've been used negatively in the past and we we find it very difficult to forget that Yes. Yeah, so it's been a word that is definitely contentious, but is definitely has been reclaimed, especially by fat acceptance activists and people who are fat. Not not everyone who is fat, Mm -hmm. but people reclaim that word, similar to how we've reclaimed other words, different social groups have reclaimed other words. And yeah, so it started back then in the 60s, and basically they were just saying that a lot of the arguments were that weight loss is or weight loss prescriptions are oppressive because there's just this misconception that fat equals unhealthy and that thin equals healthy and that we have some sort of ability to change our bodies and while yes some people have the ability to change their bodies not everyone does and Mm -hmm. yeah so there's there's that going on and that just continued throughout the 1990s or uh the late the last whatever 50 years of the 1900s can i can i interrupt yeah of course yeah because when you said it's the first movement that you know of is it was in the 60s was that because of the flower power movement and everything was more free flowing and and no one was thinking about you know you have to do this this and this at this particular point in time i.e you have to go to college and then you have to go and get get a full-time job and thing it was a bit more not wishy-washy but bit more free going do you think that's why it might have started in the 60s i'm not sure about why it started i i think my best guess is that there were just so many civil rights movements happening in the 60s right like we think of obviously black civil rights and we think about like rights for lgbtq groups but Mm -hmm. there was also huge fights happening for disability rights and there were huge fights happening for all different groups okay i think that it was just a really powerful time when a a lot of decades yeah. People starting to stand up and say a few things. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so. good. Sorry, I interrupt you. So That's you're okay. back you were back to the nineties. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I think it, it just kinda kept going in the in the nineties and the early two thousands we start to see see the internet. And so that's where it really blew up was on mm. the internet. Mm. So we saw it mostly on like blogs, different websites, but then as we got into social media, Tumblr was a huge one, and then Instagram was probably where it blew up the most, and now since we've moved on towards... Blew up in a good way? Yes. Well, yes, I would say so. Okay. (laughs) I just want to check, because, you know, social media can go either way. Right. right? Yeah. So, another thing just popped into my head, Mm -hmm. and you'll probably answer this later anyway. What about, you look at... um, artists these days in particular singers have any of them had the big influence 
through the social medias and things as well as their songs i would say the biggest one and the, the one that comes to mind the most is lizzo yeah that's the one is I that what you're thinking, thinking yes. of and i just wondered how that fitted into to all yes. of this yeah so lizzo she has done a lot of she, she's very outspoken mm-hmm. about being a fat black woman and she does not take she's not ashamed of the body that she has or who she is which is wonderful and she also makes amazing music yes <laughs> <laughs> but she's definitely been a big name in right. in the body positivity sphere she has she came under some criticism also because of she had talked about maybe not losing weight but doing a certain diet or something and there was there can there was some backlash there within the community for a variety of different reasons mm-hmm. but yeah for the most part she's she's pretty wonderful she has mm-hmm. a tv show out about yes i saw i saw one of them actually when i was googling once mm-hmm. and um it's choosing her dancers and things yes. and it was yeah. fabulous yeah fabulous yeah so she's and she's a people good one. Who, who wouldn't normally if and i hate to use that word normally even be considered for an audition yes and uh, exactly. so it was great that they had that opportunity to mm-hmm. yeah um, another one i'm thinking of is rihanna right um rihanna's lingerie line is pretty great. Okay. She has uh, lots of diversity in who she decides to have model for her, and she does the same thing. Like she, she doesn't really ask like well-known models. She mm-hmm. more just goes um, out and gets gets models. Gets models that she wants to be models. So, so they're two very, um, very prominent people. Of course, that's not everyone, mm-hmm. right? So. Tell us a bit more about how you're doing your research because you could go into all sorts of directions and I know you're looking in particular in, you know, some of the influences that are going on. Tell us a bit more about those sort of influences you're looking at and the methods you are collecting or the methods you have used to collect your data because you're near the end. How, and and why, why did you choose those methods? Yeah, so I originally went in wanting to do more of a content analysis, so going on Instagram and looking at those people mm-hmm. that are creating the content. And the more I looked into doing that, the more I realized that that wasn't really what I was interested in. What I was interested in was the fact that we are having these conversations now. And okay. I wanted to create a space that allowed people to sit in a room and talk to each other about these things and to learn more about the underpinnings of why fatness at all is seen as a bad thing in our society right? and where that has led us to now. And so that's why I decided to go with participants. So my participants are, yes, women and gender diverse, diverse people who just have experience with the body acceptance movement in any form. Do they know they've had that? experience or yes yes because sometimes you you don't realize you're part of a movement right if you don't actually turn up to a sitting or a committee meeting or something do you know what I mean yeah yeah and that's that's a great point because I think that we like like you said like we all are having these conversations more which is wonderful Um, but I wanted to know what the impacts of following those those social media like if they actually do have an impact do they actually think change the way that you think right so you're still using the social media that you're asking about yes. and what their reactions were to the social media yeah if they in fact listen look yes. at social media yeah so one of the one of the requirements was that they do follow i think i said three at least three accounts okay. on across social media that create content which it's hard to come up with a number but that felt like at least they have an in of some sort that they're mm. they're getting that content so 
that was my initial thing. I also think that people wouldn't really participate in this research unless they were interested, interested. in talking about it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that already helps to get people that are interested about it. Um, and then my methods. So I've decided to do focus groups and journaling, which is not, I wouldn't say not uncommon for a master's thesis, but it's definitely... Um, a little bit more time consuming and the way that I'm doing it is very time consuming. Uh, (laughs) Why make it easy for yourself? Why make it easy? So I'm doing it over three months. It's more enriching. How's that? Hopefully, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Experience, I guess. They say that's important. So I'm doing it over three months with the same group of people. Right. So my participants are in the same group. They do three focus groups so let's say we'll do one in March, one in April, and one in May. Right. And each focus group has different topics. It's just so that I can get the different areas of data that I'm looking for. And in between the focus groups, I'm doing journaling as a supplementary data. So the individuals are doing journaling for yes. you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so wh- the way that I came to the methods are I took a class with Dr. Mary Louise Adams, who mm-hmm. is in the School of Kinesiology and Health Studies. Yep. And... We it was uh, our research methodologies, and we talked a lot about how to use research in a way that isn't extractive. And when we're talking about, I mean, if someone's if someone's researching the muscle, yes, you have to look at the muscle, yes. and that is totally fair and understandable. But when we're doing research that involves social change and involves people's lived experiences, to just sit down with someone, interview them for sixty minutes, leave the room, and never speak to them again felt like it didn't sit well with me. Yeah, because I know any times I've done something like that, it's it, you then think, oh, I could have said this as well. And it's too late because they've gone on to the next group. Exactly. Where if you're doing it in three sessions, they've got a chance to revisit perhaps. Yeah, and I wanted it to be more involved for them in a way that I'm not writing a thesis to write a thesis for me. And of course I am. That's that's a stupid thing to say. But I, I want to give back to people. Right. And I want to foster a space for people to be able to mm-hmm. just talk to each other. So even if they never see a journal article, which they probably won't, because who reads journal articles? Not the, not the general public. We're going to try and change that. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. And I think that my work is accessible enough that people could. But I just wanted it to be a space where people could come, talk about stuff, learn things from other people. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to try to do as much as I can to kind of do a little bit of teachings about discourse and theory right. for them to start to think about those things, like with my probing questions. And then hopefully they'll leave and they'll be like, hey, I just had this super awesome conversation and tell their friends about it or tell their families about it. But I, I think you're right. That's really, really important. But a couple of questions come to mind. First of all, because you're looking, you're asking them to talk about what they've seen on the social media, right? Mm-hmm. Social media to me is quite painful at times because you go in and look at one thing a bit more and the next minute they're pinging you the marketing whatever those little yep the algorithm the algorithm yep. that they've used next minute you're getting inundated with this this other information about these have you checked this out or have you checked this out so i wonder though the ones that this this your participants if they hadn't actually done a lot on social media before the fact now that they're looking for it maybe they're getting more coming into their account than they used to so is that spoiling I don't know is it spoiling what they what your initial intention was is you know here's the first thing what have you found where I don't think so because they're coming to me already having followed these people so I don't think that they're coming and I mean maybe they will go out and seek 
more between the between the focus groups but my questions are also yes they're talking about what they've learned Mm -hmm. but it's also a lot more integrative of how it's affected their lives and so my questions are the first session is about body positivity and what does that look like for you in your in your everyday life or do you practice it do you not practice it why why not does it sit with you well my second and third ones are actually about so the second one is about identity and so what do your different identity markers how do that does that change the way you navigate these things or perceive okay and then the third one the third session is going to look at actually diet culture and health more in depth so has it actually creative created a counter narrative to diet culture have you been able to reflect on those horrible messages that we get Mm -hmm. not so much anymore but I think that still there yeah people in their 30s and 40s like growing up in the 90s and early 2000s was a horrible horrible time like kids these days are very lucky it's still horrible but so much better those that are a little larger still get bullied at school definitely and that's something that has to has to change yes for sure I don't know if that answered your question properly but no 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 that's I mean, yes, I should say. No, okay. Yes, no, yes. <laughs> yes, no, no, yes, yes. <laughs> I find like it's a Monty Python skit. <laughs> Something like that. Okay, so what are you... What, what are you hoping to get from this research? So what's the end result? What What is your ultimate learning or what do you want to get out there? Because I could think of a, a number of different things. Yeah, from it. It's a big question because it's only a master's, and you you're doing a, a lot for a master's. Mm-hmm. I would really like, at the end of the day, what I would like most of this is that people are able to learn more about the reasons that we've come to the place that we are, mm-hmm. and that for me was very healing. And I actually listened to. I mean, the, I. I don't know if I should shout out a podcast, but there's a podcast called Binchtopia that I listened to, Perfect. and they did an episode, um, and one of the hosts, Eliza, talked about like learning about the the roots of fat oppression and the roots of the diet of diet culture, which is basically just that it's money making. Mm-hmm. Um, helped her recover from her eating disorder, and that's how I felt as well. Like learning right. the that it is just a way for them to control you and to get money out of you mm-hmm. made me able to work through my things better so at the end of the day I just want more people to have the the ability to talk and have a healing experience right. um, and that's what where the journaling will hopefully be helpful mm-hmm. it's t- totally confidential journaling so I, I hope that they're able to even just have those thoughts larger scale um, I would really like to one day this is a huge dream, but one day work in curriculum um, and work to to either create a... I think we need sociology courses in from kindergarten. Like, I think Absolutely. we need I mean, to be... Our cultures are changing a lot and quickly. Yes. And we need to understand where some of these current things have come from yeah. to be able to make change. Exactly. Yeah, and, and we're, we're, we're fish living in water, and you don't know that you're in water. Mm-hmm. And so I think the more we learn about the water that we're in is going to help. Um, so I would really like to work in curriculum, like way, I mean, that's probably a very far ways away, but that is a big dream of mine. <laughs> Guest speaker, you name it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my biggest dream, but. You should have dreams like that. I mean, you've clearly come a long way, you know, from, from what you said in the beginning with your own background and then 
wanting to put something else back into this because one of the areas I thought would be fascinating and, and there are f- moments but some of the popular magazines and things mm-hmm. um, you know have some articles more articles around the body acceptance movement mm-hmm. have to make sure I say it right <laughs> the body acceptance movement and 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 I think that is coming because there are models now that are all shapes and sizes which is fantastic mm-hmm. and and you know the models um, the modeling industry isn't going oh oh my goodness as much as they used to right so that's great you know different you know people different skin colors etc are more and more accepted but we need more of that yeah and and then again on the sort of the eating side of it as you as you mentioned you know there's lots of reasons why people eat or don't eat or put on weight or don't put on weight Mm -hmm. and we need to be accepting of all of them if there's um a, a purely medical reason for that what can we do to help mm-hmm. if it's unhealthy what they're doing right now mm-hmm. so I think more of this uh, with you doing this research and, and putting it out there and like you said getting people to talk more about it that's always our biggest problem particularly in the western in the western world I mean we're really bad at talking about things that are yeah. important to all of us we either hide it or yeah. we're too embarrassed or, you know, all those sort of images come into play and you think, you know, let's just start talking about it. Yeah. Some of the times the things that we've oppressed is something happened back 200 years ago. And, exactly. And one person said, we will not talk about this anymore. It's not not the right thing to do. And then suddenly it's fact and you think, oh, my goodness, we need to start talking mm-hmm. and stop making things harder for everyone. Yeah. So you're doing really, really well on that. Um, thank you so I'm going to ask you a couple more things sure not necessarily to do about uh, your research but I always like to find out what our students are doing and you have you have a podcast yourself I do okay (laughs) and it's called the best I've ever read podcast fantastic for all those people who love to read where you do discuss a book every week what made you want to do that yeah, this I mean, and, and what kind of books are you reading? Yeah, <laughs> this is like a, a such a such a fun passion side project that I've been doing. I we just started in January. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe tomorrow we put out our eighth episode. Fantastic! So, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, it's with my friend Kim, who I know from Calgary, and she has a bookstagram book Instagram. Okay, and she has been posting sh- reviews and everything and. I love to talk to her online about books, and I'm a huge reader. I read a, a book every few days. Which is awesome, because most students go, I don't want to need, read another book. <laughs> I know, and it is hard, I, I find, but what I do find is that I make sure that I'm reading things that have absolutely nothing to do with work. school, That's with good. anything, That's fiction. Good. I'm a huge fiction reader. So it becomes relaxing for you. Yes, yeah, and it's just a, I think it's a really healthy way for me to, be able to disconnect mm-hmm. um, I find that when I'm reading a book I can't be doing anything else you literally can't do anything else when you're reading and in a world where we are multitasking all the time yeah it's it's really ha- been a really important thing to me I think for the past two or three years I've been reading um, a lot and so that's really cool uh, and then yeah Kim has this Instagram and I was always messaging back and forth with her and I just thought we should just we should just have these ch- we should have chats like I want to yeah. have a book club with you and I messaged her, and she was down for it. And so, yeah, we've been doing that. She's living in Spain right now, so we're 
Oh, jealous. I know. <laughs> yeah, she's doing a year working holiday visa over there. Nice, and nice. so she's actually working in an academic publishing company over there in Spain. So, yeah, that's that's just a side passion project. Well, and it's, you it's don't need one. to have read the book to listen to the podcast. We do put spoilers. They're usually at the very end. So if there's a book you're interested in about, you want to learn about it, you can listen Which to the episode nice. and then yeah, read it sometimes after. sometimes you think... Will I read that one or not? I'm not quite sure, but if I get a bit of an insight, exactly, then I'll go. Will I read it or won't I? <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah, exactly, so, but for a different reason. Yeah, and you've got a little dash hound named Remy. Yes, he that's is. pretty cute. I mean, there's nothing better than having a dog or, or a pet around to sort of help. Yeah, yeah he is. A, I would say famous in our department. Okay, um, I, but I take it he's not running with you because he'd be no. hard to keep up with you. No, he has very short legs. Yeah. He's about 12 <laughs> inches tall, all in all. So he, he does not run with me. He's good with a little half hour walk every day. But yeah, yeah, I think he, that's really he, good. he brings me a lot of joy and has been really nice to have. So well, you know what? That's going to bring us to the end of our little session. <laughs> and what, a, what a great way to finish. Um, again, Olivia, thank you so much for coming on the show and being so honest about not just your research, but your journey to get to your research. Um, it's, that's not always an easy thing to do. So thank you for that. And good luck with the rest of it. I, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I reckon there could be some journal articles coming out of this that people would be interested in reading. Cool, yeah. Keep your eyes peeled in the next few years. (laughs) (laughs) No point rushing, is there? No. (laughs) Now, you know what I always say? If you want to do something properly, take your time Mm -hmm. to do it, and and then you're happy with it. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so that's good. So thank you. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download this show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC Podcast. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.